Well, welcome to another episode of In the Growth Space here in season three. You know, we're continuing this month with our theme of listening generously and speaking straight. So today's guest is going to fit right in with this theme really, really well. Now, before we get started with that, I'd just like to invite you to stop for just a moment and give the podcast a rating. So whatever podcast platform that you're on, just go to the rate and review section and give us a quick rating and review. Hopefully that's a five-star rating. <laughs> and, you know, we are on a mission to reach more leaders who've got a passion for growth and especially the human element of growth. So by you rating and reviewing this podcast, it's going to help us in that mission. So we'd really appreciate it. And also, if you think of someone while you're listening today, please do me a favor, just share the episode with them. I do that so often with the podcasts that I listen to because I want to share with others what I'm learning. And, and sometimes when I'm thinking about the content that is being discussed and the, uh, the, the ideas that are being shared, I think of somebody and I think, hey, this would help so-and-so. And so I oftentimes just hit the, the, the share button and send it off to them in a text message or in an email right there on my phone while I'm, while I'm thinking about it. So I'd invite you to do the exact same thing. So as we get into today's episode, it's not groundbreaking information that we make decisions every day. Humans make decisions. And probably like me, you've never really thought about how you make decisions. So today on the episode, we're going to talk with a leader. Her name is Cheryl Einhorn, and she's created this method of, of decision-making, and she's taught that method to all kinds of leaders, leaders like CEOs and, and counterterrorism professionals, and even to high school students. So it's a really easy method to, to grasp and to use. And I know that I've talked about the leadership and culture behavior around practicing blameless problem solving on the podcast before. And that, that behavior includes the, the, the behaviors of, of being able to listen generously and then speaking straight. And, and those, of, of, of course, are our themes for this month. But I've not talked about how to solve those problems and really make decisions on how to solve those problems. And so today's guest, Cheryl Einhorn, she's going to um, help us understand how we make decisions and, and some of our biases and some of the ways we think about making decisions. And her expertise has been sought out after by multinational companies, by high schools, by nonprofits, government agencies, and universities. She's the founder of leadership training and development company called Decisive. And she's also an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School and Cornell's new New York City Technology Tech Campus. Her investigative stories about international, political, business, and economic topics have won several journalism awards, and they've been featured in publications such as Barron's, uh, Council on Foreign Relations, uh, Fortune, Harvard Business Review, Huffington Post, New York Times, and Stanford Social Innovation Review. So she truly is an expert in decision-making. She's also written a recent book. She's written three books, but this most recent book called Problem Solver is one that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. And so help me welcome Cheryl Einhorn to the podcast. 
Well, hey, welcome to In the Growth Space, um, Cheryl. It's it's really an honor to to have you on uh, the podcast here today. And you know, as we were talking before we got started recording, you know, I, I've really never heard anybody teaching about how to make decisions, and I've never really even thought about how to make decisions before. And I, I know that uh, based on my profile that we'll get into here probably a little bit in our conversation probably doesn't surprise you, but um, let, let's let's start with just what got you interested in decision-making and, and problem-solving to begin with? Well, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, my background is from investigative journalism. I spent a decade at the business magazine Barron's, and while I was there, I ended up specializing in what you might call the bearish company story. These are stories that take a skeptical look at a company's finances or at their strategy. And when the stories came out, there was often really an outsized reaction. The stock exchange might halt the shares of the company. Regulators might get involved. Several mm -hmm. companies went out of business. One CEO who I wrote a series of articles about the company that he was running ended up going to jail for 10 years. And this type of speaking truth to power, while it's celebrated by journalism, really weighed on me in the sense that I just started to think about, well, who am I as a decision maker? How do I know that I'm telling stories that are true and that should be told? How do I know that I'm marshalling the right evidence? And at the time, we were all learning that we have these heuristics, these cognitive biases, these mental mistakes, which help us make many small decisions throughout the day easily and quickly, but that can impede our clear thinking and don't go away when solving for complex problems. And so I just started to think about maybe I could put together a system to control for encounter these cognitive biases to help us to expand our knowledge while improving our judgment. And that's really how I started thinking about decision making and how to do a more ethical job at work. Interesting. Well, and, and you said something there that I think I think is really um fascinating because you are, you said you're thinking about how you're making decisions. And so I think that, you know, oftentimes we don't think about how we're thinking about decisions. And I think it's really important. And I think that becoming more aware of, of how we do make decisions and knowing ourselves better and knowing ourselves in a, in a, in a different way, maybe. And, and, and looking at how we're thinking about decisions is really important. So, you know, from that aspect, how did you kind of, um, think about, um, your like getting to know yourself. And I know we'll get into some of the, the profile that you developed, um, in a minute here, but like, how did you begin to like know yourself and, and really understand how you make decisions? Well, so the first thing that I started to think about is how do we usually problem solve? And yeah. normally for most of us, when we have a problem or we want to buy a new car, we go to Google and we type yeah. it in. What's the best car? And right. so what happens is immediately we're flooded with information with no sense of the quality of the sources, the validity of how they're choosing and whether or not it speaks to what we value in our decisions. Mm. So if normally we're drinking from a fire hose, the question then became, how is it that 
we could come up with something that is almost like the opposite of Google, which is what my area method decision-making system really is when you think about it. So area is an acronym for the steps of my process, which seeks to really control for encounter these mental mistakes that we were just talking about so that you can pry open cognitive space for new information and insight. So the first A in the area is absolute. It's information from up close on the target. The okay. second letter R for area is relative information. It sources related to the decision that you're making, but not from the absolute target. Then area E gets beyond document-based sources to upgrade your research first in exploration by helping you identify great prospects and ask them great questions. So it's interviewing. And then area exploitation, which is entirely new in decision-making, is really a series of creative exercises that I've learned from other experts where you can test your assumptions against evidence. And then the final analysis is also new. It's really thinking about failure and strength testing your decision and helping you then to come to conviction on a decision that you think will succeed for you. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, I like the acronym and, and it helped. I always like acronyms too, because it helps kind of give you a kind of a, a path or a road roadmap to, to walk through. I'm, I'm wondering if you might be able to give us like some kind of an example of how, how do we go about using that, that methodology and that, that acronym and those, those aspects, like, you know, when we, when we have a decision, how do we get up close and, you know, talk about that first A? Well, so think of all the leaders that you're speaking to with your clientele. So say you are thinking about expanding the business in a certain direction. So absolute might be the type of expansion that you that you're looking for, right? Let's say we want to expand geographically. So it might be the geographic region would be your absolute target that you're thinking about and learning about that region. And then in the relative phase, getting beyond the decision target, you might be thinking about, well, how have other companies like mine, similar size, maybe similar product offerings, how they moved into this area? What is their competitive advantage? What might an industry map look like? And a literature review so that I can learn how others and experts in the field see and understand the opportunity that I'm considering. In area exploration, now you're thinking about the difference between the map and the terrain. We all know that what we read and what we experience may well be different things. What can I learn actually speaking to potential customers in those areas about who they're buying for now in that area? What do they think that they're getting that is really value? And what things might be missing, which really could be the gap that I could be moving my business into. Then area exploitation would do these creative exercises, whether it's something that many people are familiar with, like a pro-con exercise or something that I think has a terrible name, but is a very valuable tool called the competing alternative hypothesis exercise where you look at your evidence against your hypotheses to really look at the diagnosticity of the data that you have. And then in final A analysis, you would think about failure. How does this go wrong? Now you think you have a plan for how you're going to move into this new geographic area. Tell the story of failure step by step. This is going to help you to identify weaknesses in your plan 
And then to be able to shore up the weaknesses that you've identified and also hold you accountable to not have evolving hypotheses. Because if you see or experience the points of failure that you've identified in this exercise, you also know it's time to make a new decision. And so you can see that area can really help you to have a great process so that you can get to a great decision. Wow. Yeah. It's very, you know, methodical. And I, you know, based on what we were talking about, you know, in my style, it totally like goes against everything that I've ever, I think I've ever done when I make a decision, but I like it because I think that there's probably a lot of decisions that I know that I've made in the past that had I gone, especially to that last phase of, you know, kind of stress testing and like what could go wrong. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure that I could have made a different decision and, and maybe avoided some, some pain and suffering, <laughs> but, but I, 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 and, and I think too, that as I think about how you just explained your method, it does, it does bring up, I guess, for me, the, the, um, ability to overcome those cognitive biases, because, we, we think one way. And I think when we're making decisions, well, let me speak for myself. I think when I think about decisions and, and I think about um, how I'm perceiving the decision, I'm sure that I'm, I'm, I'm allowing my, my own biases and maybe blind spots to, to color how I'm making that decision. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So I have a brand new book out called Problem Solver, Maximizing Your Strengths to Make Better Decisions. And it builds off of my earlier work about the area method, which is my first two books, Problem Solved, which is about introducing area and using it for high stakes decisions and then investing in financial research, which is about applying the area method to financial and investment decisions. But the new book, Problem Solver, is my research that identifies that we don't make decisions or enter into how we use knowledge systems as they are. We use information and interact with the world how we are, mm. which begs the question, who are we as decision makers? Yeah. So this new book, Problem Solver, discusses that there are five dominant ways that people make decisions. I gave them fun names because we yeah. think language. And by mm. giving them fun names, they can be more memorable and you can use them with others when you make decisions. So they are the adventurer, the detective, the listener, the thinker and the visionary. And I know that you are a visionary, as you said, which means that each of the problem solver profiles while having beautiful strengths also has some very specific cognitive biases mm -hmm. that I talk about so that you can understand what you're good at and also where you have opportunities for growth. So when you make decisions as a visionary, you are very interested in big ideas, in things that are creative and original. Mm -hmm. And the blind spots that go with that, the heuristics, the cognitive biases, are things like scarcity bias, which is that you tend to overvalue things that are scarce or rare, when at times something that is relatively workaday would be perfectly fine. Now for me, I'm a detective. I tend to value things that I consider are rational, and that have evidence. Uh, and 
So a blind spot that I might have when making decisions is confirmation bias because I seek to confirm a favored hypothesis and I'm relatively good at finding information to support my thinking when actually the higher value would be to look for disconfirming data, which would let me know whether or not the way that I want to move forward would be good or not. Interesting. So I, I love that. And I, I love also looking at each of these, you know, archetype archetypes um, as, and, and, and looking at their strengths and also their, their blind spots. And I love that you didn't call them weaknesses because it, it, it truly is just a blind spot. And I think that as leaders, I, I've, I talk about um, to our emerging leaders, uh, especially about knowing yourself. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate of doing things like the, you know, the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or, you know, the Enneagram, all of those tools, the predictive index help us to know ourselves. And when we as leaders know ourselves better, we can then see those blind spots, right? Well, I want to differentiate the problem solver profile, which is my tool that helps you to figure out how you approach your decisions from these personality, other types of yeah. assessments. Okay. Good. First of all, decision-making is what we do all the time, right? We grow up to be decision makers and yet nobody's ever told us really how to make them, but our decisions are the data of our lives. And it's totally different than personality. Yeah. So the problem solver profile is not proscriptive. Whereas the Myers-Briggs assessment, et cetera, says, this is who you are. Now figure mm -hmm. out what to do about it. Your problem solver profiles like handedness. Most of us prefer to do things with either our right or left hand. Uh -huh. Now we can learn to be ambidextrous. Sure. But we have to go through some discomfort to do that because that's where the growth is. Yes. So the problem solver profile will tell you your habits and patterns of behavior that are comfortable to you and that speak to what you value in your decisions. So for instance, for you as the visionary, you value things that are original or creative and are relatively ambitious. And you also value this idea that there can be something brand new that hasn't been there before. Yeah, totally. But that doesn't mean that you always have to be that way. So by learning like all of the problem solver profiles, you can learn not only about your own strengths and blind spots, but how other people operate in the world. And you can learn to become a more dynamic decision maker yourself mm. by trying on these other profiles. So let's just introduce the yeah. ones that we haven't. We haven't mentioned the adventurer, Right. The optimistic and forward thinking decision maker. Okay. The adventurer is somebody who favors making many decisions. Okay. And if they make a decision and they don't like it, the good news is they always have another decision that they can make. They can make. We also yeah. haven't mentioned the listener. And the listener is a collaborative, cooperative decision maker who values the wisdom of others. She wants to make sure that she is bringing everybody along. And one of her blind spots might be the liking bias, that she tends to overweight mm. things that come from people who she admires or who she likes. Sure. And then we haven't discussed the thinker. This is our slowest 
decision maker. This is somebody who's cautious and careful and somebody who wants to really understand their options. The action is between their ears. They tend to stay in problem solving as opposed to decision making. And therefore one of their blind spots is the relativity bias where they like to compare options against each other, which may have a frame blindness to it and not really have them put the entire problem into its larger context. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I, I like how you you said um, that you know personality those profiles are different than your decision making profile because to me, and I don't know if this is fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but but does it um, would you would you say that your our personalities maybe drive the way our our um, decision making is? but that we can also um, change that. We can change the way we, we, we make decisions or um, is, that, is that fair to say? I don't know that I would say that at all. Okay, okay. Um, you know, our decisions are something that are uniquely ours. Um, and what we tend to value is different than um, personality, which I think is a cocktail of a lot of, of different things together. Um, and personality, um, you know, that I, I would let I would let those people that are experts in Myers-Briggs and some of these other things speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Well, and I also I, I also appreciate the fact that how you set these up and, and what you I think what I heard you say just a moment ago is that. We can all try, we can, so even though my typical style of decision-making is visionary, I can try on detective, I can try on adventurer, and I can gain insight from, from each one of these uh, types and, and profiles. Absolutely. So let's just give an example that I think everybody can relate to, and then you can really see what you think it means in terms of um, how you might think about a business opportunity. So say the five problem solver profiles are out to dinner. Uh -huh. the menus are passed around, right? The adventurer might look at the menu and she sees the first thing that interests her and she can put the menu down. She knows what she's having. She's very decisive. The detective looks at the menu, says that one dish has olives, loves olives. That's the data point. That's the dish she's gonna order. The listener wants to hear what everybody else thinks sounds good too. The thinker looks at the menu, considers maybe what they've already eaten that day. How are they going to balance out their diet for that particular day and weighs the different options. And then the visionary looks at the menu, sees one particular dish that sounds good, but then adds the sauce from a separate dish. <laughs> to something entirely new. So you can see that they're really optimizing for different things. This has huge implications when you are trying to align and make decisions with your team. So if you don't know what kind of problem solvers they are, all you may know is that you have friction with some people. You're sitting with the adventurer and she wants you to get the meeting wrapped up, right? Or you're sitting there and the visionary seems to be having an entirely different conversation, or you're sitting there with the thinker and you can't figure out why they're moving so slowly, or you're sitting there with the detective and you can't figure out why she seems so anchored, 
in a particular piece of data. So instead of decisions that may take five days, if you really know the problem solver profiles and you can align and optimize and begin the conversation in a place that builds trust, now maybe you make the decision in five hours. Mm -hmm. So you really see that what you're able to do is not only expedite the way that you are able to have conversations and make decisions with others, but you're actively strengthening your relationships and building trust because you know how to speak to their incentive structure. Oh gosh, I love that. And I never really thought of that before because I think that especially when you think about like executive leadership teams or any kind of a leadership team, there's going to be just like there are personality profiles, there's going to be different problem solving profiles that you go around the table. And if we don't speak their language, then we're going to delay the process or, or misunderstand. I think as, as you were describing these two, I was thinking about, especially the menu thing, uh, you know, get the, I kept thinking to myself, this could be really helpful in marriage too. <laughs> it actually transformed my relationship with my mother. Interesting. How so? Well, um, my mother's an adventurer and I'm a detective and I hadn't really thought about applying my work to my everyday life. And it became a huge aha during COVID when Mm. my aging parents ran into a couple of problems. And all of a sudden I realized I don't have any of their information their phone passwords, the bank account numbers. And I knew that if I asked my mother, the adventurer, to do this, she would say, that's boring. I'm not doing that. So I was able to use the profiles. My dad's a detective to first send an email to the two of them. So my dad's included. His detective would slow down the adventurer. And of course, he thought it was a great idea because he loves data. And then... Uh, what I was able to do is when I went over there to sit with them, my dad logs onto the computer, he opens up a spreadsheet. My mother goes into her desk, pulls out a manila folder that's <laughs> filled with slips of paper. And for the same phone, she had like six different passwords for it, <laughs> right? Because as an adventurer, she'd update her password, then she'd toss it in the folder and she wouldn't get rid of the other slips. So mm. in learning how to approach them. Not only was I able to solve the problem, we now have a backup of all this information and my mother's information is now put into a spreadsheet, but we also had a way that honors each of them so that we're gonna reduce the friction, we're gonna get to the answer and we're gonna do it in a way that strengthens the relationships. The relationships. Gosh, Cheryl, that's that. I think that's really profound because I think in in the world we live in today, it's so important to be able to have those relationships that are strong, to be able to make strong decisions, good decisions, um, not only around you know the the executive leadership table or any leadership t- team table, but in our own personal lives as well. And I think that. I really appreciate this approach to be able to understand, I guess, how we make decisions so that we can strengthen those relationships. I think that's really interesting and important. Thank you. I I mean, what occurs to me that is so powerful about the problem solver profile is 
we can't do anything if we can't get along with other people. So helping people get along better is really at the center of all problem solving because for too long, we have been under this impression that is not true, that it's our decision alone. And that's not true. At some level, there are always other stakeholders. And the more that we can recognize and include those stakeholders in our decisions, that's when we really have an opportunity for holistic problem solving. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm even thinking about recent decision making in my own personal life and and leadership life. And I think, gosh, if I would have, if I would have been more aware of taking in others and, 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 and those relationships and, and even just understanding their, their problem solving style, I think, uh, you know, I would have had a lot less stress in my life. And, and I think, you know, that I want to stress that to the leaders who are are listening that um, this, this conversation is not just business related. Although I know I'm talking to a lot of business leaders when we're, we're talking here, but I think that there's been this breakdown of this idea that there's a separation of, well, it's only business or it's only personal and, and, and the two don't match. That's hogwash. I mean, you know, our, we, we're, we're fully integrated people. And I think that when we can look at each other in leadership capacity and understand each other and develop those relationships holistically, then we can make better decisions and our, and we can have a better leadership team as well. And I, I just really appreciate that about how you're thinking about and talking about decision-making. Thank you so much. I, I often say that if everything is good at home, but not great at work, you're okay. But if everything is good at work, but not okay at home, it's much more difficult. So recognizing that we tend to put thought and time and effort into who we are at work, mm-hmm. that same set of skills and tools in my books on decision-making and in the work that I do are life skills that you can bring to all aspects of who you are. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think one, one of the things that, um, really struck me, I guess, as I was reading through your book, um, is the idea of slowing down, um, to, to, to make decisions. And I think, and, and I think it struck me probably because I think I tend to typically be fast paced and maybe this is a, 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 um, style, a part of my profile, but I, I tend to be fast paced and slowing down is not, natural to me. However, I will tell you, you know, I just, as we're recording this, I just came back from a 30 day sabbatical. I I took the entire month of July off this summer and, um, it was something totally new for me. So the whole idea of slowing down is really new and fresh. And I, and I think that because I was reading that during that time, I was thinking about this idea of slowing down to make decisions and how that can really be beneficial so I guess, why is that important? Why is that important to slow down? Yeah. So I, um, I think it's critical. I have a term for it. I use the metaphor of the cheetah 
She's the fastest land animal, but wow. her hunting prowess is actually that she decelerates up to nine miles an hour in a single stride. And the wow. reason why that makes her such a fearsome predator is that now you're talking about agility, flexibility, and maneuverability. And that's mm. what you need in quality decision-making. It's not linear, it's circular. And you need times for calculated pauses and for reflection. So throughout my area method and throughout all of my books, I have what I call cheetah sheets. These are uniquely addressing the idea of timing and decision-making, which I think has long been a missing component mm -hmm. because our time is valuable and it's a limited resource. Yeah. So everywhere where I suggest that you take a strategic stop, I have one of these cheetah sheets and I ask you a series of questions to help you to guide your thinking, or I give you suggestions of where to look for data or how to analyze it. And in my newest book, Problem Solver, in addition to giving you these graphic organizer worksheets, these cheetah sheets, I also give you completed cheetah sheets. So you can see how a company that I've worked with or a client who I've worked with, how they have applied and answered those questions so that they can improve their decision making. Uh, I, I love that. And I, I remember uh, that from your, from your book. And I, I remember the See, I loved having, being able to see that um, because that was kind of helpful to kind of like, how do I practically apply this? How do I practically yeah. use this? You should yeah. be able with the cheetah sheets to literally rip the knowledge off the page and put it right into your life. And the idea of these cheetah sheets is that the books become like guidebooks. You can use them over and over and over again because the cheetah sheets will be there to help guide your thinking and your work. Yeah. Well, and I think that um, just going back for a second about slowing down, yeah. I, I think that I want, I want leaders just to kind of rehear that for a second, because I believe that it's been, it's been programmed into us that, you know, we've got to go, you know, full throttle Mach three with our hair on fire and, you know, just make quick decisions and, and, and you'll be okay. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm changing my mind on that because I've seen that when I make quick decisions, oftentimes those aren't always my best decisions. And, and, and I just want leaders to recognize the value of slowing down and the value of taking a little bit of time to evaluate and, 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 and use these cheetah sheets to be able to really walk through a process for decision-making. And I think that as you do that, then you will have a lot more agility and a lot more um, complexity and, and depth to your leadership and your problem solving and decision making. And so I just wanted to kind of bring that out because I, as I, as I read through your book and as I was thinking about this idea of slowing down, I think that that was, for me, it was at least a really key point. It's a really key point. And I would also say um, that we tend not to audit our decisions. In my first yeah. two books, Problem Solved and in Investing in Financial Research, I talk about using an area journal, which is a dedicated place where you can keep notes on your work and on your thinking. And by using an area journal, you can be building a book of you as a decision maker yeah, so that you can go back and say, 
You know, how did I do related to this decision? Was my thinking good? Was my research good? Did I end up with good luck or bad luck? What do I want to do again? And what do I want to do differently? And by keeping this book of you as a decision maker, you'll have the opportunity to not only be able to move into your future with greater knowledge, but you also can have other people who are clearly walking your footsteps Mm -hmm. because you'll be able to show them when they're facing a similar decision or when they want to understand the corporate history in a particular area, this is what we did, this is why we did it, and then you can also evaluate how it worked out. Gosh, I love that. I've never thought about having a journal just for your decisions and your decision-making that's brilliant. And and so for those of you who are in our emerging leader group, you, you've heard me talk ad nauseum about journaling. This is another great idea and a great way to journal about your decision-making. And, and, and I know that the leaders listening have also heard that experience isn't the best teacher, but evaluated experience is. So use this idea that Cheryl is sharing to create your own journal to be able to um, evaluate your decision-making. I think that's, that's brilliant. Thank you. I, I, that's a great idea. Well, uh, Cheryl, you and I have talked about this uh, problem solving uh, profile and, and decision-making profile uh, and, and, and how I just want to, to let others know how do they access that? And and then also, how do they access your book and, and get in touch with you? Thank you so much. So my website is areamethod.com, A-R-E-A method.com. And there you'll find information about all three of my books, Problem Solved, about complex decision-making, investing in financial research, about financial and investment decisions, And then the brand new book, Problem Solver, about the problem solver profiles. And you can also learn your problem solver profile by going to my website, which will take you to app.ariamethod.com. And so I hope that you will learn about yourself as a decision maker. Reach out to me and my team. We do coaching and professional development work. And... um, we hope that we can help you feel more confident in the way that you make decisions alone and with others. Uh, I love that so much. I think this is such an important topic, um, Cheryl. Thank you so much for sharing time with us and sharing your knowledge, especially around this area of, of decision-making. I really appreciate it. And so we'll make sure that all of that um, goes into the show notes. And so um, if you're if you're walking, if you're driving, if you're working out, whatever you're doing right now while you're listening, um, make sure that uh, you check out the show notes. We'll have those in there. You can just uh, click on the links and and have uh, that information at your fingertips. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much for being here. This has been a pleasure to to get to know you a little bit and really understand um, how to make better decisions. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.